This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la you found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinero. Oh, what happened here? Jeez, there's always something. What in the world is going on with my camera? Okay, my bad. Look, there we go. I just fixed it. All right, okay. Are we good? We are good. You would think I would have been smart enough to do a test before going uh, live here on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter, but I'm not always all that smart. How's everyone doing tonight on this Monday, January 16? It is one minute past 10 p.m., and here we are, of course, the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero, and usually on Monday nights, Eric Engels joins us. We'll get to Eric in just a minute, not before I talk to you about the people who bring you the show, starting with Energy Transportation Group, an asset-based 3PL provider offering outstanding service at incredible rates serving all of North America. Energy Transportation Group offers full-service logistic support. Also brought to you by 8.6 Beer, intense by nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark and brought to you by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. When am I going back to Lacage? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to be back at Lacage this Saturday night. This time I'm going to be at Lacage Bell Center on Saturday night because on Saturday night I'm going to go watch the hockey game. A buddy of mine invited me to the game, and uh, he usually does, uh, like once a year over the last couple of years. And uh, and I always say yes, and it's a night out. Sammy Cavallaro and Agnello Cavallaro are back, are, master, are back at Master Control. Sammy, you'll let me know uh, when we have Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca because Eric is a regular on Monday nights, and it, uh, I've just been told that we have him. So let's go to him without further ado. Eric, how are you, bud? I'm good. How are you? Very, very good. Very, very good. We just we went off air for whatever reason there, uh, for about like thirty seconds or so. But we're back. Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on uh, on Wednesday because Wednesday Kent Hughes is going to talk about like the midway point of the season, even though we've passed it. The Canadians have played more than forty one games, uh, but I guess they were looking for a time to do this. And uh, tomorrow night, the Canadians are going to host the Winnipeg Jets. And then on Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. at um, at the uh, training facility in Brassard, Kent Hughes is going to meet the media at 12.30. Yeah, I think he would have done it sooner. It's just they had their scouting meetings last week. All the amateur scouts were in town. And um, just uh, timing-wise, with the Canadians leaving town for the weekend, play those two games, come back, and then didn't want to do it on game day on Tuesday as it was initially scheduled. So 
they settled on Wednesday. I don't think any of us are complaining. It's always fun to talk to no. the GM, and he's been readily accessible since he took over the job from Mark Bergevin. And so they all have. Um, I think he, you know, much like Marty St. Louis, much like Jeff Gordon, much like anybody you deal with in the organization, smart, insightful man. There are serious questions to get to with him. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing how he answers them. Not only has he been accessible, but other members of the organization have been accessible as well, right? If you want to talk to Rob Ramage, for example, you can. If you want to talk to Jeff Gordon, you can. And, um, you know, under the previous management team, Trevor Timmons was made available around the draft. I think, you know, pretty much, you know, the day before the draft or a couple of days before the draft. And then right after they made their selections. But other than that, if you wanted to talk to other members of the management team throughout the year, it was difficult. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say that it's a cinch that just about anybody you want to speak to, you can speak to them at any time, at any place. You know, there, there was a great openness at the beginning of this thing with Jeff Gordon taking over, with Ken Hughes coming in, with Marty St. Louis around, you know, to get introduced to everybody in the organization and speak to different people. Um, I think both Gordon and Hughes have taken a slight step back from that and making certain members of the organization available as much as they were before because they want the shine to be on the players, right? You know, like yeah. there's so much discussion about what was happening off the ice, and it's the players who play the games, the players that are paid to pay, play them, and the players who were able to turn around kind of or, or you know, remove the stench of last season um, and come into this one and, and author a bit of a new story before obviously things got difficult in the month of December. Um, you know, I think they're rebounding right now or in the early stages of doing so. I don't necessarily yeah. believe that they'll be, you know, win one, win, win two here and there, lose a couple, win, one, you know, like a 50% kind of margin. But, you know, they, they are competing a lot better of late. Um, and I think that's that's setting the tone for how they like to be through the second half. Injuries will happen. They already are. Uh, trades will happen. Yeah. They're, they're frozen right now, but it, it will come as we approach the trade deadline. And yeah, we'll see some young players will get more opportunity and we'll see what that generates. But yeah, I mean, I think management was interested in us talking about the players a bit more than mm -hmm. that. And that's probably why it slowed down just a little bit here. I don't know how many calls I received today to talk about the Canadians, but I received quite a few from buddies of mine and stuff like that. Uh, I was just on the phone with, uh, with uh, my cousin's husband probably about 30 minutes ago or so, and he was another one. And, you know, even though we shouldn't be surprised by Cole Caulfield scoring again yesterday versus the Rangers, I have to tell you the conversation we were having was, like Cole Caulfield is the greatest pure goal scorer the Canadians have had. I think since Lafleur and shot. And the reason why I say that is because we know that Brian Bellow scored 40. Mm -hmm. We know that Vinny Donfus, I believe, scored 40 as well. Stefan Riche had 250, one season of 50 and one season of 51, I believe. So two seasons like that in a three-year span. Uh, if Caulfield hits 50, and right now Caulfield has 26 and 44 games, so he's on pace to hit very, very close to 50, probably about 48 or 49 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If Caulfield hits 50, you know, for me, he's, and I, I was a huge Riche fan. He's a greater goal scorer than Riche. Like Stefan Riche was over six feet. Stefan Riche was like over 215. Stefan Riche had a long reach. Stefan Riche had a cannon of a slap shot. Stefan Riche had a much bigger frame. Cole Caulfield is like five foot what seven? Not that height matters, but all things being equal, it's always a plus to be bigger and stronger. Um, does he have as hard a slap shot as Riche? No, uh, he does have a sick wrist shot and a sick release. But would you agree? Like Cole Caulfield's the greatest goal scorer the Canadians have had since Shut and Lafleur. I would amend the statement. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a better goal scorer than Riche or even necessarily Max Pacioretty, who put in, you know, several 
35 plus goal seasons with the Montreal Canadiens before, you know, he was traded out of town. What I would say is that of the players who are known for scoring goals, he's the best player we've seen since those guys that you just mentioned. Like I, I think Cole Caulfield does not get enough credit for his all around game and the way he plays and his anticipation and his abilities, the way he maneuvers as soon as he gets the puck to free himself from the immediate pressure that comes to you when you get the puck in the NHL. Um, it's elite. He's got elite hands. He's got an ability to score in multiple ways. Um, not unlike Patrick, you know, like that's why I say like, is he a better goal scorer than Patrick? Is he a better goal scorer than Richie was? Not necessarily. Well, is he Eric, better- Eric, pardon me. He's going to have to show the longevity because Pacioretty had about six of those seasons. Yeah, but will. so far, so far, <laughs> what will. we're seeing, this guy's going to be a better goal scorer than Pacioretty. He's well, got, I don't know. He's got 26 goals in 44 games. Pacioretty never had more than 39 with the Habs. Yeah, no, I, I, I think he had, I think he's got 50 goals in his last 83. Or 51. Yeah. 51 yeah. in his last 83, something like that. Um, again, uh, when you, it's, I don't like parsing the numbers that way because uh, doing it over a full season, that's the whole thing. There's a grind of a season that goes course, with it. Of course. Um, I wouldn't take anything away from any of the guys we mentioned before. Um, can Cole score goals better than those guys? No, I mean, they, they scored goals. Is he a better player, though? Yes. And like, it is, it comes down to what his abilities are and how versatile and varied he played, like that he's able to create offensive opportunity. And I know it was his first assist since November 23rd when he got that second assist on Doc's goal against the Rangers, which kind of took me aback a little bit, but also coincided with Suzuki going a bit cold in the goal scoring department for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But man, like, Oh, this guy's playmaking ability. One of the biggest things that I liked about Cole Caulfield before he came to the NHL, I watched a ton of him playing in college before he was coming to Montreal because I knew I, I had a sense for how good he was actually going to be. Um, and, and it's just his ability to put himself in motion at the right times is elite. Like he, he, and again, well, I would it's pretty, never. It's pretty, cool. it's pretty cool that you had that sense, Eric, because there's about ten teams that didn't have that sense. Yeah, or fourteen. Um, no, listen, Tony. Like, I would never compare Cole Caulfield to Evgeny Malkin. The two don't belong in the same sentence. But something I always appreciated in Malkin's game. Nor do they play the same position. No, and nor do they shoot the same way. And I typically don't. I, n- I never people always used to compare Sackick and nor Eisman. do they have the same size. I could never I could never compare Sackick and Eiserman because one was a lefty and one was a righty. And I think just righties and lefties play the game differently, but that's my own mental yeah. screwy yeah. thing, whatever. But to make the point, what the thing that I've always appreciated the most in Malkin's game is his his knowledge, his his motion, his ability to con- consistently be in motion at the right time to be the best passing o- outlet option coming out of the zone, always swinging um, at the right time to get the puck and get it to do what he does best, which is skate through the neutral zone with it and make plays. Um, Cole has that ability. Cole has that, that it's a, it's a sense like it is Mm -hmm. a hockey sense of where the play is going and putting himself in the best possible places to become the next option to get the puck in the areas where he can be dangerous with it. Mm -hmm. What's evolved in his game since he came to the NHL is what he does with it as soon as he gets it. Like I said, in the NHL, and the biggest adjustment for young players, and you're seeing with Slavkovsky, is the minute you get the puck, someone's on you. Like they've anticipated the play is coming to you. And so you've got to be a couple moves ahead. And Cole's, I love the way Cole uses his his skates and his body positioning Mm -hmm. to shield the puck, to turn it in a certain way, as soon as that stick check is coming, that he's he's distanced it despite his small size. Like, this is a tough thing to explain as we're talking about it. Yeah. Maybe if I had a whiteboard, I could draw it. But it it just shows how much he's separating himself from the pack yeah. of players you mentioned before and how much he's bringing himself closer to the, the two players you mentioned in Shutt and LaFleur. I think when you look at those two guys, they weren't just goal scorers. They were really special players. Steve Shutt had the best hand-eye coordination of like any player that had ever come before him. He used to tip pucks in yeah. better than any player in the game. LaFleur could score in every single way. He Andrew Chuck was great at that, by the way. Yeah, he had the speed, he had the brain, he had all that. So Again, just to reiterate, 
Is he a better goal scorer than all those guys dating back to those two players that you mentioned? I don't know. Is he a better player than all of them with respect to Stefan Riche, who I even once stepped on the ice and played with, uh, which I, that's a, that was a fun story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a little fun story. It was back when I was playing like five five times a week. I was playing hockey. I, I stopped playing hockey from like 18 to 21, picked it back up, and started playing like five, six times a week got obsessed with it again and uh ended up in a random game that a couple of buddies a couple of ukrainian buddies actually uh turned me on to in the east end and i stepped on the ice one of those random friday afternoon games where you don't know who's on your team until you get out there they give you a white jersey or a dark jersey you get out the ice and i i was wearing white i picked up the puck as soon as i stepped on took a couple shots turned through a saucer pass looked up and uh the guy was passing you was stefan riche and sure enough we end up playing on a line together and uh first shift of the game i we come in two on one i fake a shot throw a pass over to his stick he shoots it in the net and comes to celebrate goes you're a pretty good player i said you're not too bad yourself with your 50 goal seasons in the nhl like Later on in the game, Tony was standing in front of the net. I took his wrist shot off my foot, and I wanted to die. Wow. Like, it wow. was brutal, brutal. Anyways, that's my small Stefan Riche story. That's, uh, that's, a pretty, that, that's a pretty cool story. Uh, you played hockey with Riche. I played soccer with Zidane, which, well, was, uh, <laughs> which was which is a pretty good story. I was, he didn't I headbutt was, you, did he? Uh, no, we were on the same team. Okay, that's uh, good. It was, uh, it was a, a game with... Uh, some proceeds going to UNICEF at the Percival Molson Stadium with about 15,000 people in attendance and uh, and um, members. You know, one team was composed of Montreal police and firefighters, and the other team was composed of former professional players, and they added in two members of the media, and one of the members of the media they chose was myself because they knew I had a passion for soccer. And, uh, yeah, he was... Um, he was wearing number 10. I was wearing number nine. And uh, I don't know if I was playing striker or left wing. But anyway, I got in for about 28 minutes. I think I came in at the 27th. And I think I was uh, sub- subbed off at the 55th or whatever. But it was uh, it was pretty cool to be on a field with Zinedine Zidane, let me tell you. Yeah, it's I'm funny sure because... It, how easy did, it make, did he make it look out there? So... It's uh, it was poetry in motion. Like at one point, I, 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 and I don't know if this actually happened or I imagined it in my head, but I, I'm pretty sure I saw him get out, you know, with the ball with three members of the other team, basically trying to like just form a circle around him. And I think he did a fake one way, and I think he lobbed the ball over somebody, and two guys ran with for it. I think they bumped into each other, and he left them both on the floor. Like it was, it was po- like. I'm there in the locker room like an hour before the game and I'm doing all my stretches and I'm making sure that when I tie my cleats, I double knot them and they're tight and they're this and they're that. He shows up in the locker room probably about three minutes before we have to go on the field for our warm-up. He barely even ties his cleats. He doesn't stretch nothing. He goes on the field. Um, he passes the ball around a little bit, keeps it up a little bit. The game starts. And like he was, like he was just, he was playing. Like he was, he was. It was a joke for him. Like it was, it was, it was unbelievable. It they was, never lose it. Like these no, guys, no, who, no. Phenom, make it to that level, like yeah. Even Riche was was older, and I played with him. I mean, if if the game was still just shooting, he had an NHL shot. Like it was lethal. Like so yeah, taking yeah. off the foot. I thought I, I really thought I broke my foot. It was brutal for the rest of the game, and I took it right on the laces. Like. But, man, like, just to play with some of these guys, I mean, he's not the only former yeah. pro that I play with. Uh, I used to play in a pickup game with Max LaPierre for a while, coming yeah. straight out of his NHL career. And he was, you know, he could fly. Like, yeah. he could fly. And so these guys, I mean, it's it's yeah, fun it's, when they get into those situations because they'll, they'll take it easy and then there will be one shift where they're just like, oh, somebody's trying to, like, play me harder because I'm a pro and then all of a sudden – uh... It's an eye opener for me, and maybe it should teach me a lesson because you know over the years I maybe I kind of picked on this guy or picked on that guy or picked on this player or that player. Then all of a sudden you show up to a hockey for the homeless tournament. And you know a couple of people that are playing in the tournament, and you know a couple of players are pretty good. And then you see these NHLers going at like thirty percent sometimes because the, you know they just want to fit in. They want to. They don't want to steal the show because they want to be part of the team, and yet. They're so far much better than everyone else. It's like not even funny. It is It is pretty cool. But I'll say this. I want to get back to Caulfield for a second. 
And you talked about, you know, his ability to shield the puck, his ability to protect the puck, his ability to turn with the puck. For me, his release is as good as anyone's release in the National Hockey League, past or present. Like uh, some of the best releases I've seen, Alexander Mogilny, Austin Matthews, uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin, obviously. I mean, you, you, yeah, yeah, you know, Sackick. Um, I think Peter Bondra at one point had like a pretty good release. Like, there's so many, right? There's so many we could name. Uh, Sackick had the best one I ever saw. Like, the best ever. release you ever saw was Sackick, yeah? Yeah, just no no take back, nothing. Just can put the puck anywhere he wants it. Yeah. In stride, standing still, whatever it is. Yeah, the best La- shot I've ever seen. Last year's Austin Matthews, I think, could make this this conversation very, very interesting. Yeah. This yeah. year, no. But Joe Sackick had an ability, and, and this not too many players have this ability. It's funny. We used to play ball hockey with a guy by the name of Derek Murphy. Derek Murphy is one of the best ball hockey players I've ever seen, and I've been following ball hockey since I used to play myself, and I probably was playing in an like, organized league in Montreal probably at age 15. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm 50 now, but, and, and I, but I still follow quite a bit. Derek Murphy had the ability on the jog or on the run, he can shoot a ball. We play obviously ball hockey with the orange balls, right? So on the jog or on the run in stride, he can shoot and pick top corners. It's a very, very hard thing to do. Joe Sackick skating through the offensive zone could actually shoot the puck before others would react. You wouldn't think that he was skating the way he was and shooting at the same time. He had that ability that not a lot of players have. Yeah, and be really a shot that came before his time. Like, yeah, like halfway through his career about, or maybe even on the back nine, came the carbon composites the original eastern synergy and you just lean on that thing and shoot with no release at all like no no take back like if you go back to the mid 90s a lot more guys were shooting like Yannick Perot where you you'd bring the puck from back on your heel and move it forward in a sweeping kind of motion with a wrist shot but Sakic was using the flexion of the stick way better than a lot of players around him I mean the, to me the best ever and the best ever at disguising a shot, and the best ever in terms of accuracy. You know what blows me away about Caulfield shot? Coming yeah, back to it. Um, it's not the velocity of it, and it's it's not even the release. Actually, uh, one thing about Cole is you look at all the great goal scorers in the game, and they're always looking to score top corner. Mm-hmm. It's always top corner, bar down, back bar, and Cole. Cole looks for the holes. Like he will shoot. Yeah. He will shoot. Especially on breakaways. He he'll goes shoot. five hole a lot. He goes five hole. He'll he'll shoot under the glove. He'll shoot under the blocker, which is a harder shot to pull off as a right-handed player. As a left-handed player, it should be your shot 90% of the time that you get in there. You have a great chance of scoring, considering how the proximity between your left-hand palette and, and a right-handed goaltender's blocker like Correct. a regular you know because you're guy, closer to the blocker than you catches the other yeah. way then then it's a bit of a change up for you as a lefty yeah. but yeah. as a righty you know over the glove is is a typical shot or a cross body top corner over the blocker but he hits those different spots mid net sometimes that goalies are not expecting yeah. they're thinking a guy who scores this many goals is going to try and go bar down like all the young great shooters like even like Austin Matthews you know so yeah. i think it's um the versatility is incredible his his accuracy on a one timer is incredible and and that's a mark of like pretty much every great goal scorer that's ever come before him go go through the list go through Ovechkin who everybody yeah. knows more than anyone now to Matthews to Kucherov to Sakic to Brett Hall, you know, mm-hmm. is the, the master of the one-timer. Cole can do it, and he can do it with the fastest, hardest pass, and it doesn't matter if the thing's rolling or on the ice. It's like he he gets a stick on it and, and gets it. You know, it's it. he has incredible skill. I don't think for a second mm-hmm. that this guy will not be doing this throughout his career. Like, this is not 
oh, you know, he's doing it now and we'll see what happens in two years. No, no. This is who, this is where he came to the National Hockey League with that pedigree. Yeah. And if not for a 30 game stint that was like completely the most bizarre thing to ever happen to him in his entire life uh, under Dominic Ducharme, like that's all he's ever done. It's, Basically, it's translation of what Eric's saying is that. No, 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 don't translate. <laughs> Shit can't use offer Cole Caulfield an eight or a seven year deal. You don't have to sweat it. Because this is not just a one-off. Speaking of which, one guy... And by the way, for those who are on YouTube Live, when I said... Uh, when Eric said, I knew that Cole Caulfield was going to be special. And I said, well, Eric, you were smarter than about 10 other teams. And then Eric said 14. And a lot of people were like, yeah, 14. Cole Caulfield was drafted 15. He's smarter than 14 other teams. The reason why I said about 10 other teams is because I don't think New Jersey, rec- uh, New Jersey regrets the Jack Hughes pick at one. Uh, I don't think that uh, the Detroit Red Wings regret the Moritz Sider pick at six. And I don't think the Anaheim Ducks regret the Trevor Zegras pick at nine. Yeah, Philly just might be kicking themselves about taking Cam York before the Canadians. Oh, they're not kicking themselves. They're on the verge of throwing themselves off the bridge right now. Uh, Speaking of that draft year. Are we going to talk about that contract? What about that contract? The player that Minnesota took 12th is Matthew Boldy. There you go. And Matthew Boldy has 68 points in 89 games. Cole Caulfield has 84 points in 121 games. Boldy's got um, 27 goals thus far, and Cole Caulfield's got 53 goals thus far. Matthew Boldy signed, is it a seven-year deal at $49 million, I believe? Yeah. $7 million a year. So a lot of people are looking at that, and they're saying, hold on a second here. So... We know now for sure that Cole Caulfield will get at least seven million, maybe even eight million, and who knows if he's going to get more. But we didn't need Matthew Boldy to sign his contract to know that Cole Caulfield was going to get at least seven million dollars a year, did we? No, but also like, a, and and even more to the point, there's really no. I don't see a comparison between the two players. They don't do the same things. The only thing that's similar between them is that they came in the same draft and played. The same program, you know, yeah. USA hockey. And the reason Matthew Boldy got a seven year, seven million dollar uh, AAV deal right now is because Bill Guerin and the Minnesota Wild know exactly what this player is and who he's going to be for the next seven years. He's already Correct. shown what kind of player he is, what he does all over the ice. He's very consistent. Um, not even necessarily in terms of production yet, but in terms of knowing exactly what you're going to get. They love him. Like they, like I spoke to Bill Guerin. I, I sat with Bill Guerin recently. I was at the NHL Board of Governors meeting, you know, uh, and a couple of other people watching the Minnesota Wild play and to him talking about how much he loves Matthew Boley. Like, and, and if you watch the Minnesota Wild play and mm-hmm. watch Matthew Boldy play, you will know exactly why. Is he a comparable for Cole Caulfield in a contract negotiation? No. Uh, will Pat Brisson pick up the phone and call Kent Hughes and say, well, Boldy got seven over seven. So. <laughs> of course. Because the truth is, if Kent Hughes is making an offer to uh, to Cole Caulfield over seven or eight years, the number doesn't start with seven anyways. Like, we already This is something you and I discussed earlier on this year. And I said to you, the only incentive for the Canadians to get Caulfield done for eight years right now is to be able to get him at a number that's lower than Suzuki. And I don't see any chance of Cole doing that right now because he'd be selling himself short. He'd be selling Uh himself too far short. The reason Suzuki got the deal he got when he got it was because they knew exactly what Suzuki was and what he would what he was going to do over those those eight years, and both sides were comfortable with that. Um, yeah. It's not like Cole wouldn't want to be a Montreal Canadian long-term and guarantee himself that he's Suzuki's winger or Kirby Doc's winger or whoever, or Pierre-Luc Dubois' winger in a few years. Oh, I'm just messing around. But, no, that'll be a subject that we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, as, as days come along and the Winnipeg Jets come to town. But, look. Well, why, guys, don't, we, why don't we get into it now? But you, before we do, Tony, like, yeah, if you're if you're Cole, and I, I yeah. could I could end up being wrong on this, okay? Yeah, if I'm Paprisson and I'm Cole, 
I say to myself, I'll sign three, four years right now. And it'll be at a number that you guys can swallow from a cap perspective. So I give us still a chance to win games and pick up other players and whatever it is. And that number, you know, the precedent was set with, with Jason Robertson and what he did, you know, and, and what he's doing now is guaranteeing mm-hmm. that he's going to get a lot more on the next contract. But I think it was $7.5 million that Robertson signed for for four years. Mm-hmm. And if Cole signs a deal for three years at around that number, is he really going to be upset about making seven and a half million bucks for three years and then cashing in big on another big contract? Like, no. But if you want to sign him now for eight years and expect that he's going to take a discount just because he's getting eight years, good luck. Like, yeah, I'm, no, not hockey, saying, I'm not saying I'm not saying it won't happen, right. but good luck. Like, I don't I don't see it happening for a player who has 50 goals in his last 83 games and between now and the end of the season could end up with 45 to 50. Yeah, and uh, I know exactly what you're what you're saying. If you're Pat Brisson and you're Cole Caulfield, you're thinking that if you sign an eight year deal at seven and a half or seven point eight seven five million dollars or whatever it is, and uh, you know four years down the line you have scored, you know fifty goals four years in a row. Well, four or five years from now, that kind of player could be making ten million on the market, right? Or a lot more than that. The cap is going up. The yeah. numbers are being set by the biggest and best players in the world. And if Cole Caulfield becomes an established 40-plus goal scorer year over year, he's one of the best players in the world. Like, there's no debating that. Um, whether we value centers more, goal scoring is the greatest premium in the NHL. There's not a lot of guys that can do it at that level. This year, there's more of them than we've seen in years before. Mm-hmm. But will that continue to be a trend moving forward? Not necessarily. Will it continue to be a trend with Cole Caulfield, who has spent his entire life scoring goals and breaking records? Yes, that's what he does. That's who he is. The Canadians know. Cole Caulfield knows. Pat Brisson knows. So where will be a compromise for both sides to come to that Cole will be happy with what's coming into his count over a couple of years, three years, whatever it is, and that he'll be happy and feel like he's not selling himself short in the long term because it's a really hard position to be in and say to yourself, well, you know, they're offering me eight times eight, and that's a lot of money. And so, you know, what are they going to say about me if I don't sign that? And this, you know, I mean, I think that's why you have an agent. And and the agent will tell him, if I was his agent, I know what I'd be telling him. I'd say, cool. Yeah. I'm going to give you a lot of money to play for two, three years. Forget about eight. Because because you're going to get another eight on top of the two or three that you're going to get a lot more money for if you keep doing what you're doing and it, nothing's guaranteed you get hurt or whatever it is but yeah you won't you won't feel as though you left so much money on the table if for whatever reason over a two three year deal you're making twenty one million bucks I yeah mean, and let's not forget if you sign an eight year deal right away near the end of that contract those are unrestricted free what could have been unrestricted free agency deals right and as you know. Yeah. Teams break the bank for unrestricted free agents, right? There's always one team that is going to take a look at a player and say, man, you know what? He's worth it. I'll give him $10 million. Especially if they could score 40 goals minimum in a season. Yeah. Speaking of 40 goals, one guy who's on pace to score close to 40, probably about 36 or 37, is none other than Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm going to get to him, not before I say hello to my sick army, everyone watching on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live, on Twitter Live, as the numbers keep on going up, and we appreciate it. It is the Sick Podcast, and tell your friends about it, and hit the like button and message SICK, S-I-C-K. It is our way of feeling the love. All right, earlier today in Montreal, Pierre-Luc Dubois announces his foundation and a commitment to raise some money, which is a pretty cool thing, but even before he did that, And the Winnipeg Jets, of course, are in town because they visit the Canadians tomorrow night. There's a lot of people that have been talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Montreal Canadiens wanted him. Mark Bergevin wanted him. Trevor Timmons wanted him. And now Bergevin's no longer there. Timmons is no longer there. But if you speak to people close to the situation, they'll tell you that Pierre-Luc Dubois wants the Montreal Canadiens. And I know you're not supposed to say that because under contract with Winnipeg, but I can say it, and it's not a problem. Having said that, you'd have to think that the Montreal Canadiens would always like to have good players on their team, especially players who can play center and wing, and the fact that they're from here is not a bad thing either, right? From St. Agathe, Mont, Pierre-Luc Dubois 
had 28 goals and 60 points last year. This year, after 44 games, he has 20 goals and 49 points. Eric, he's an RFA at the end of the year. But let's just say he says to the Jets at the end of the year, guys, I'm going to sign one more year. I'm not signing a long-term deal. I'm signing one more year, which will take me into unrestricted free agency at the end of the 2024 season. At that point, Eric, if you're the Winnipeg Jets and Pierre-Luc Dubois only wants a one-year deal, for you, the writing is on the wall. That means he wants out. And then you have to trade him. So the decision is you trade him in the summer of 2023 or you trade him at the trade deadline of the 23-24 season. As you look into your crystal ball, my man, do you see Pierre-Luc Dubois with a Montreal Canadiens jersey on? I'm having an easier time seeing him with a Montreal Canadiens jersey on than a Winnipeg Jets jersey. I'm having an easier time seeing him in a Montreal Canadiens jersey than just about any other jersey in the NHL. Does that guarantee that it's going to happen? No. A lot of different things can happen between now and the time that a decision needs to get made on his future. Um, If you're the Winnipeg Jets, you really see how this season plays out in which you're getting a Norris Trophy-type season out of out of uh, Josh Morrissey, in which the forwards are providing good depth, in which uh, the coach, Bones, is doing an unbelievable job, in which Dubois is playing his best hockey. There's nothing going on between now and the deadline, that's for sure. And as you Did get you just call Bonus Bones, by the way? Did you just call Bones. him Bones? Yeah, that's what we it call It sounds him. like, uh, no, I know that, but it, it almost Bonus. sounds like you guys uh, you guys are friends. Like, it no, sounds like no, no, sorry. Rick Bonus. No. Uh, okay, okay, it's all good. Rick bonus. Yeah. He's doing a great job. He's a great coach. He's a great defensive mind. Great, great yes. people person. Everybody yeah. loves him. Yeah. Um, I just think, you know, if you're Winnipeg, you know, what's the hardest thing to do when you're the Winnipeg Jets? It's it's to get people to commit long term to playing for your franchise, right? Yes. There's and you've uh, got you've got a lot of pieces that are really yeah. quality pieces that you can continue on beyond this year to continue to kind of chase the Stanley Cup. Um, and you have to kind of see how things evolve this year and how that process goes this year and how deep you go into the playoffs this year because that will dictate a lot of how you manipulate the situation moving forward because you may mm-hmm. say to yourself, even if Dubois turns to us and says, I can only sign a one-year deal with you, I, I'm not going to sign long-term, you still, you know, you, are you going to do what Calgary did? Yeah, more likely than not. But you never know how your emotions. And then they hold on a second. They could trade him wherever he wants. Like he does not have a no trade clause contract. Correct. He's an RFA. You can't get a you can't get a no trade clause unless you're a UFA. So Um, it's complicated though. Like emotions get in the way. And and what I mean by that is like, say you're the Jets and you go to the Stanley Cup final this year and you come really close to winning, and then. You know, Dubois says, I'm only here for one more year, guys. Do you say to yourself, well, we'll take that one more year and kick the can down the road and we'll still nah, be able you to still, trade You still have to trade after. him. You still have to trade him. There's too many teams that have lost players yeah. who are on the verge, or, you know, we're going to become unrestricted yeah. free agents and got nothing for them. I, I mean, know. People, the end of the day, know, one team wins a Stanley Cup. It's very hard to win it. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I agree with you. I know what you do. I know what I would do. I know yeah. also, though, that when you get in those situations and you think we were so close this year and we could be close next year if we keep this guy – even if it means that we trade him for less further down the road, you can't discount that as a possibility. Now, another huge factor in that is when the agent comes out and drops hints about his client potentially wanting to join the Montreal Canadiens at some point or another, and you're the Montreal Canadiens and you know that, what are you giving up to get that player knowing that a year from now you can – let him walk the free agency and sign him without giving up anything. Well, as you know, Eric, I mean, you're a collaborator on uh, on French sports radio, BPM Spa, 91.9 on your FM dial. Quebec's all sports radio station and Quebec's number one sports radio station. I myself am a collaborator as well. And you know this and I know this is that some of the people that we work with, they've been talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and the prospect of joining the Montreal Canadiens for several months now. People are talking in their ears, so it's, it's, it's clear as day that people close to the Dubois camp 
are whispering in certain people's ears to start to get the, the motor running here that Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to come to the Montreal Canadiens so, and let's make this happen. And I know that this is going on. So why do you on, have to trade for him? And I know that this is going on because the same thing went on with Jonathan Drouin. So do you have to trade for him? Like, look at what, what the window is for Montreal. If if Montreal gets Pierre-Luc Dubois, if they trade for him this offseason, which I'm not, I'm not discounting as a very strong possibility. I think it's a very strong possibility that that happens. But even if they do, do they become a contender next season? No. You know, like the, the plan is really depends where they draft, Eric. Yeah, it depends where they draft. Well, sure. they win the lottery. Yeah, they sure. get Connor Bedard at number one. They pull a trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois. We're a contender, my friend. We're, we're going to the playoffs. They're going See, to the playoffs. The, the, yeah, you know, everybody thought that about Ottawa when they built one of the best top sixes in the NHL. And uh, then they remembered that you win – with defense and goaltending and and they haven't had it this year and they're not even a playoff team. Like I'm just saying, Tony, like yeah. it takes time to build a team and there's no rush here. I'm not saying the Canadians won't trade for Dubois. In fact, they even have a couple of pieces to really make that deal work without necessarily destroying their prospect pool to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, Winnipeg, your biggest challenge is getting players to sign long-term. Canadians happen to have players signed to long-term deals that they could potentially ship in a deal like that that could prove attractive to a team like Winnipeg. So I'm just saying, not saying that would be a one-for-one proposition. I don't think uh, the Canadians are going to be able to trade Josh Anderson one-for-one for for Pierre-Luc Dubois. But if they want to pull that type of move or, you know, a guy like Brendan Gallagher is involved and, and on top of different pieces, maybe that's what it takes whether or not the incentive is fully there to do it will depend on yeah. what the asking price is. Because if you're Montreal and you think, you know what, we got one more year here and then he's an unrestricted free agent and he wants to come here and we'll give him the money because it'll be freed up on our cap. Why would you, you know, yeah. what, what, what happens if they turn to you and it's, say, it's, we won't, it's a, it's a good we point won't. that you brought up with the Ottawa centers because the Ottawa center is going into the season had a top seven of Norris, Stutzla, Kachuk, Batherson, Giroux, Pinto, and the Brinket. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. With, with Thomas Shabbat and, and, and Bernard and, and Jake Sanderson and Travis Hamannick on defense, yeah. it's not too shabby. It's not too shabby. It's a good no, point. With, 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 <laughs> with Artem Zub and, and Shabbat, and everybody else not there yet, like not where you need to be in order to to yeah. do what you need to do. Like, yeah, it was premature to say the rebuild was over. Let's yeah. let's let's be blunt. And it was a concern going into the season that their yeah. defense wasn't strong enough, and then it became a massive concern when Cam Talbot got hurt. But we're not talking about the Senators. I'm just saying, yeah. Even if you look at it and say you got to jump the market, and you got to be able to get Dubois now, and all of a sudden if you do, you can accelerate the rebuild. But yeah, like you can accelerate it. Do you suddenly like is it so urgent that you're going to sell key pieces of that future to make it happen when the player could literally walk to you in free agency? That is the question that is going to persist between now and when those decisions you're get right. You're right. Summer. But but if Winnipeg does not have a great year the following year, they will trade them. Yeah. Yeah. The so deadline, before- sure. Before they trade him, you probably have to put your best foot forward to try and secure him so that they give him to you in the offseason. And as you know, teams like to build their teams in the offseason, not during the season. So having said that, and now I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm not so sure you're going to like this game, but we'll play it anyway because you're a big boy and you got your big boy pants on, even though I can't see what you're wearing. Um, What would be the most your Kent Hughes and in the summer, you're hearing Pierre-Luc Dubois told the Winnipeg Jets, I'm signing one year because I want out after. What's the most you would be willing to put on the table during the summer? You know, my concern is that whatever it is won't get it done. And yeah, I'll tell you yeah. why. I'll tell you why. Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Same situation, right? Yeah. Ends up sign and ends up in a sign and trade out of Calgary. Yeah, he tells them he's not going to sign long term. What did they get for him? They got Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto. Yeah, 
pretty great return. I, I think it's 50-50 that Pierre-Luc Dubois gets traded if he tells the Winnipeg Jets he's not willing to sign long-term. I'm talking this offseason. Yeah. I think it could bleed as far as the trade deadline because if he really wants to sign in Montreal, he may not be willing to sign with anybody else. He may not be willing to go into the same scenario that Matthew Kachuk did where he wanted to get his contract done and play for somebody else. And he essentially dictated where he could play and where it would be. Like, if you're the Canadians, what pieces are you giving up to make that happen? Uh, I'm not touching Suzuki. Mm -hmm. I'm not touching Caulfield. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, the next guy on the list becomes a guy like Doc, which... Is you, something you know, would, ideally you'd like to would, keep him because of the success he's having on the you line. Would, you would, you would, but I mean, again, if if but if you, you have to really, give to get and and yeah, Dubois really a former third pick. It. Dubois a former third pick overall, and Doc is a former third pick overall, yeah. and Doc is younger than Dubois, so he could obviously be and coming off a great season yeah. so far, and he's under team control, which is a great asset yeah. for a team like yeah. But I don't, that's where it gets tricky. Like it's not like. The Canadians couldn't talk themselves into it. The only way they would do something like that, though, is mm -hmm. if they really felt that they were risking not being able to get the player a year from now in free agency. Yeah, and that's that's under normal circumstances that would be a like a really a scary enough risk to dive into that type of deal. Under these circumstances, where you know the player really would like to be in Montreal at some point, yeah. It's it's it becomes and Eric for everyone watching, okay, who always wants to give up nothing and get the moon in return, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's not all it would cost. Yeah, it wouldn't just yeah. be Kirby Doc. Okay, it would be no, more than that. No, and and not only that. I mean, you know, uh, yes, Eric would rather give up Christian Dvorak over Kirby Doc, but you know, it's it's it, you know, it, Winnipeg's not going to make that deal, okay. So we have to be realistic here on what it would take. And Eric believes it would take more than Kirby Doc for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and a shout-out to Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, Playground casino games, daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? They're located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. And I also want to give a shout-out to our sick army who's watching in big numbers. Once again, if you like what you're hearing, um, Hit the like button and basically message us sick s i c k. And if you're gonna go uh, go listen tomorrow via audio on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five star review. We would definitely appreciate it. I got a one star review earlier today. By the way, I was told early on when I did radio, you're not supposed to bring attention to the negative. But somebody gave me a one star review. They just said I bring nothing to the table and I have no talent. And uh, wow, it uh, it hurt me. Um, but it is what, what it he is. Was watching, uh, yeah, and it's probably somebody who's running another podcast. Uh, okay, Samuel oh. Montembo. Samuel Montembo. Yeah, I want to talk to you about him. Yeah. Let him I run. Eh? To, I said to Jean Charles Lajoie earlier tonight. One of the beauties of sport on on TV on sports television. I said to him, I said, one of the beauties of sports is that this happens all the time, right? You know, unfortunately, players get injured. And then it's, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for someone else to step up. And, you know, these opportunities, sometimes players are able to, to take it and run with it, right? Four games. We wanted to see Samuel Montembeau play more. About a month ago, Marty St. Louis came out and said that Jake Allen was his number one. And now because Jake Allen is hurt, Samuel Montembeau's played the last four games. And... I've never, you know, the four games he's played have been his most consistent several games in a row, maybe throughout his entire career. It's been absolutely fantastic. He made 38 saves yesterday in MSG, and, uh, you know, he all gold Shosturkin. I think that's pretty cool. 39, no? Uh, was it 39 yeah. saves? I thought it was, it was 39. 38, shot. I wrote the wrong number in my column. But, yeah. uh, okay. All right, okay. So um, I, I mentioned to Jean-Charles earlier tonight, that if the season would end now, even though he had some bad moments, but keeping in mind that this is not a very deep team and they've had a lot of young defensemen on it, 
I would think that he'd have to be a top three candidate for the Jacques Beauchamp Award for the fourth star on the team, don't you think? We're talking fourth star here. Cole Caulfield's not a fourth star player. Neither is Nick Suzuki. Uh, he'd have to be a top three candidate, don't you think? Oh yeah, he'd be number one on the list. I think so. I think I think. And then just today, just to clarify, that is the, the the player who put in the best performance without getting the recognition for it. You know, like the the common recognition that that a player would get for putting in a good performance. You know what I think about when I watch Sam Montumbo? How old is he? Is he 27? Uh, I believe 26. he's 26. He could be 27. I'll look it up. I think he's 26. I'm just looking really quick. He's 26. Yep. Yep. And he's made significant improvement from last year to when he came here, right? He used to play with Joel uh, for Joel Bouchard with the Armada. Yeah, from uh, last year to this year, when you first saw Sam Montumbo last yeah, year, yeah, to this year, there has been technical improvement in his game. Oh. There has been mental improvement in his game. Rebound control is much better. In his game. There's been a lot of different things improving in his game. Yeah, it's 26. Yeah, he was a highly touted prospect, a goaltender that Florida felt had potential to get better that they didn't necessarily want to lose, and they tried to sneak him through waivers, and he ended up in Montreal because of a crazy situation where the Canadians didn't have any goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And at 26 years old, mm-hmm. takes a huge step in his development. You know why I bring it up? Because there's a 29-year-old called Charlie Lindgren who took a huge step forward in his development with Washington by any chance? or No, because- no, but that reinforces the point I'm about to make. Yeah, because if I just can't finish on this point, is that we've always heard that it takes goalies a little bit longer. And just take a look at Lindgren. And, you know, uh, I think it's – go ahead. I think it's incredible. I, I think okay. He's such a gamer. I, I, love, I love this guy. If, I really like him. If that has always been true, it has never been more true than now in an NHL and a game that is being played with much more offensive ability from lines one through four and defense activated in the play, a higher scoring league than ever be like, than, than it's so been true. for, so for true. decades. Yeah. So why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because over the last year, anytime Caden Primo's name has come up within the fan base, all we hear about is that he's a bust He's never going to realize his potential. He, They ruined him. He's 23 years old. Snake Boisvert told me a couple of weeks ago, probably a good 10 days ago on the SICK podcast, that Caden Primo, with the exception of playing a couple of games, will never be an NHL goaltender. Not a number one, not a number two, not an NHLer at all. He okay. said he might play a few games here and there because of injury, but that's it. Great. Count him among 100,000 people to... 2 million people saying the same thing about him that, you know, with due respect, don't know who he is as a person or what he's been through to get to where he is. I mean, I think until we see something different from Primo, from a performance standpoint, those people are going to rule the day in terms of their opinion. Mm -hmm. But be careful. With a 23-year-old who had that much talent and rose through the ranks the way he did as a seventh-round pick, 199th overall in the draft in mm-hmm. 2017, be careful proclaiming that he will never be this or never be that. Who was great a year ago with Laval? Because there's a lot of goaltenders that have come before him that have developed at a later age, and Montembeau right now is the, the like primary example and Charlie's another one, a great example. Um, don't give up so fast. I know this about Caden Primo. His his work ethic is exceptional. This is not a party kid, whatever it is. He's a good kid who cares so much about his professional career. Mm-hmm. He's had his struggles, physical, mental. He's coming off a concussion. Not easy. Not an easy situation. Not a team that's had a banner year playing in front of him in Laval an opportunity for him to really shine considering those circumstances. It hasn't happened yet. He's just been okay. Yeah. But wait, you know, like see what happens and see what develops there because yeah. he has the toolkit. It's it's all a question of what he ends up doing with it from here to the point where he's supposed to mature and become a, a, a guy that can potentially take over. Will mm-hmm. the Canadians continuously look to 
add to the pipeline there? Will they 100% put their faith that Caden Primo would be the goaltender of the future? No. But when you hear guys like Jack, Jake Allen at the beginning of the year talk about – he didn't even talk about Montombo. He talked about how he had an opportunity to mentor a guy like Caden because he sees what the potential is in the player. Don't dismiss that. I, I think Montombo is a fantastic example of what happens um, in development sometimes and, and is proof positive that you shouldn't give up on a player – especially at that position at the age of 23. We'll see what happens. But Montalbo yeah. is a great, come back to your point, he's a great story so far this yeah. year. Yeah. He really has developed well to the point where... Big improvement. When I saw him the get, first time there, I was like, this guy's not an NHL goalie. And it, listen, he may never be a starter, but if you're the Canadians, you better let him run right now and see see really what you have. There's 100% a great opportunity Eric. to, to, to uh, see what you have. And, and I know, you know Jake Allen signed. Jake Allen signed, and Jake Allen is the ultimate team player. And I'm not saying that Montembeau should play two games for every one that Allen plays, but you may want to get in a situation right now where you go 1-1 um, and, and make sure that those numbers Eric, are even. Eric, why not? You said, I'm not going to say Montembeau should play two games for every one Allen plays, but I'm going to say... Why not? Are they going to make the playoffs with Jake Allen? No. Is Jake Allen going to get better? No, he's been in the career for, he's been in the league for over 10 years. I mean, Jake Allen is who he is right now, right? So I don't want to look at it as why not. I would rather look at it as you're still looking at an excellent development opportunity for Montembeau and an opportunity to properly test what he can give you in a 1-1 situation. And you're creating a certain competition between the two guys that is healthy while not offending the goalie that you trusted in a certain role and, you know, offered a two-year contract to be the ultimate teammate, which he's been, you know, like you can't take away anything away from Alan. I understand the way that. He's competed in the way he's been. I don't think you put him in a situation where you potentially not necessarily embarrass him, but make it seem as though you don't value what he brings when he's done nothing but, but give you, what you're paying for. I, uh, I value what he brings. I think he's a great team player. I'm a little bit biased in this discussion here because even though they offered him a couple of years, if I would get a pretty good offer for Jake Allen before the deadline, he would be a player that I would be willing to move. That's why, you know, I would, I would, I would not have a problem with playing Montembeau more often, but at the same time, if you do plan on moving Allen, whether, and I don't think they do plan on moving him, but if they wanted to, they can only increase Allen's value by actually playing him more. So that kind of mm -hmm. goes against my point, but it is not a lot of franchise goalies in the league anymore, right? Like no. There's Vasilevsky yeah. and Shesterkin and Sorokin and you don't you don't need one to win the Stanley Cup, Eric. And I know that one that is <laughs> one one two cups, but uh, you know, I would say that if Tampa Bay actually maybe maybe not, like it's not to put it that way, like yeah, Colorado on with Darcy Kemper. He played well enough to win it. Correct. Um, but but Vasilevsky on the other end was a better goalie, right? And, like, and Kemper still won, right? We'll put it on another spectrum. Like people said, the Rangers are way ahead of schedule, right? Like, what's the number one reason you would point to that? It's Shesterkin. Like, yeah, of course. Of course. incredible. Sorokin, yeah. like what Sorokin is doing with the Islanders, I mean, that guy is the real deal. I, and how many other goalies? Can yeah, but how many how many goalies have won? How many now? goalies have won the cup in the last ten years? Well, I mean, like in the last ten years. Now you're really putting me on the spot because I'll no, have no, to go no. Back and count. Okay, okay. So, but in the last ten years, six. And I no, no. But oh, I, oh how many of them like won it on their yeah, own? Yeah, yeah. How many? How many teams won the cup? And you would say the goalie was their best player. Like as good as Vasilevsky was, he was their best player. Yeah. Yeah, he probably was their best player in one of the cups. Through, 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 through both cup wins and probably to the run to the finals. He wasn't their only amazing player, but he was their best. He was the playoff god. Like, Okay, but hold on a second. He's not if, the – I would if, not say that he's the reason they won. I would, I would yes. say that they wouldn't have won without him. Though. No, but we'll, look, we'll never know the answer to this question. But once they were in the final – you take Vasilevsky, you put him on the Habs, you take Carey Price, you put him on the Lightning, I still think the Lightning won the Cup, but we'll never know. 
Tampa yeah, Bay was just to, a better yeah, team. Yeah, they, they had to get there. They had to get there. They did. And and Vasilevsky was great in what I think was a one nothing win over the Islanders in Game 7. Okay, and I, will, I would also say, though, that in the Stanley Cup final against Montreal, he made the difference more than Kerry did. And I don't even want to take anything away from Kerry because the that's run that true, Kerry too. But he's it. stopping Montreal Canadian shooters, and Kerry's got to stop Stamkos, and he's got to stop Braden Point, and well, he's got to stop Kucherov, and he's got to stop Vlad, and he's got to, he's got to, yeah, you know. but I know, I know. But you know, the only team that was playing better hockey in the playoffs that year was Tampa, like Montreal, yeah, was tremendous. And if you don't believe me, ask the guys who had to play them for the Winnipeg Jets, who had a, a lot of firepower. Uh, and they got beat in four straight games. I, I hear you, but Montreal realized in the final. Montreal realized in the final that Tampa's not Winnipeg. Tampa's Tampa, man. Nobody, nobody was Tampa. Yeah, the yeah. only team that played better team hockey than Montreal throughout those playoffs was Tampa Bay. They were the only team. Yeah, and the better duo that we've ever seen outside of Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov was you and Stefan Riche. On uh, on that game in the East End, hey, yeah. in ending, in ending, my God, one hour time flies when you're having fun. This has been great. So why don't I just give a shout out to MatrixHomeFitness.ca? Uh, take home the club quality workout in the comfort of your own home. What machinery? When we're talking treadmills, we're talking ellipticals, we're talking roars. Um, visit MatrixHomeFitness.ca and once again bring it home. In ending, Woody, are you hearing anything on your Islovkowski? No, it's quiet okay. right now. I don't know how serious it is. I don't I don't want to speculate on it. I am very eager like anybody else is to find out. Um, I'd like to believe it's not that serious, but I don't know. You know, I wasn't in New York last night. Yeah. I didn't get a glimpse at him after the game or anything like that. I'm much more concerned about the Jake Evans injury. Okay. That that really looked bad when it happened. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, whatever it is, part of the gig, right? Like players yeah. get injured, and he's 18, and you hope he'll he's back in action as soon as possible. In ending, because a lot of people have been asking this question, and by the way, I tackled it about a week ago or 10 days ago on the Sick Podcast, and I actually wrote the answer that I gave then on this piece of paper, which I'll turn around in about 30 seconds. Yes or no and why, in one minute, tell me. If the New York Rangers call the Montreal Canadiens and they say, we'll trade you Alexi Lafreniere, we want Uri Slavkowski, should Kent Hughes say yes or no and why? Oh, my God. You're going to turn this into one of those individual clips that I'm not going to want to see on Twitter the next day. I'm going to turn uh, it into an individual clip that you are going to see because we're going to get thousands and thousands of views. Okay. It's going to help. I'm going to give, I'm gonna gonna try and give you an answer that, okay. No. no. For two reasons. No. Okay. But I did kind of see you scribbling. No. But it didn't influence my answer. No. For did two you really? Reasons. I got to hide yeah. that. Better. No for two reasons. And none of them have anything to do with where Alexi Lafreniere is in his development because I actually think he's going to be a really good player, and I'm not worried about him at all. Um, so Lafkovsky's 18, and Lafreniere is 21, if I'm not mistaken. This guy's so diplomatic with his answers. He's the best, man. That's I can never get that's, I that's can never, one. I can never get one individual. Oh, I'm going to give, give you something here. I'm telling you, man. One is, one is Slavkovsky's 18, and, and Lafreniere is 21. That's, that's one of the reasons why I gave. That's the first one. The second is... The second is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I was going to say the second is the contract that Lafreniere will be leaving an entry-level contract, whereas Lovkowski could still be an entry-level oh, yeah. for the next two years, and you're going to have to hey. give that money with the, like, gotta, the guys like you Caulfield. Got, you got to pay Caulfield. Yeah. In three years, you got to pay Doc. You got to pay Slavkovsky. Yeah. And if Dubois is coming... You can't, so give, if, up for, you can't give up for, for Lafreniere. Yeah, so if you if you're gonna go out and you're gonna acquire a good Chinu, you're choosing Pierre Luc Dubois over Alexis Lafreniere. You know, you started this by talking about how he was in town to promote his new charity that he started, which is yes. uh, helping people around Montreal. He's taking over the charity, the Vinny Cavalier's charity, correct? Yeah, 
For years, everybody wanted Vinny LeCavalier in Montreal. Big center. Mm-hmm. Luc Dubois, 6'2". It's almost like there's a, like a subliminal message there, right? 200, two, over 200 pounds. Plays the game as heavy as he is. Yeah. Has, has more than a point per game. Already has 20 goals on the season. Do the math. It's gonna yeah. make a it's gonna make a killing, it's gonna make a great contract. I think the Montreal Canadiens would love to be the team that gives it to him. I think he would like to accept it here. And I think that makes it really complicated starting to swing moves outside of that when you're not in your window yet and you're not and, you, know, and you would you yet. would think that Pierre Luc Dubois wouldn't mind playing for Marty St. Louis and he can whisper it to Vinny LeCavalier every now and then. And I don't think there's a I don't think there's a player in the league who wouldn't mind. I I, I think you'd have a hard time finding anybody who wouldn't want to play for. I'd want to play for St. Louis, and I don't even know how to skate. <laughs> Eric, yeah, uh, regular every Monday, and the good news is the Canadians don't play next Monday either. So I look forward to talking to you then. In the meantime, enjoy the hockey game tomorrow night, and you and I will see each other at the complex in Brassard on Wednesday afternoon for Kent Hughes's presser. Because I'll okay, be there. I'll see you there. Thank you very much, my man. All the best to you. eh? Thank you for all your uh, fantastic contributions to the program. I thought today was, in all humility, I thought it was a very, very solid one-plus hour of Habstock right here, the SIG podcast. Tell your friends about it. They're looking for a podcast where they talk Habs. With my buddy Cole here taking a seat on on the flowers chair. This is the podcast, the sick podcast, weeknights, Monday to Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern, with who? Who am I? I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.